Chapter Nineteen of Paul Clifford by Edward Bulwer Lytton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nineteen. Come, the plot thickens, and another fold of the warm cloak of mystery wraps us around, and for their loves, behold, the seal is on them. Tanner of Tyburn we must not suppose that clifford's manner and tone were towards lucy brandon such as they seemed to others love refines every roughness and that truth which nurtures tenderness is never barren of grace whatever the habits and comrades of clifford's life he had at heart many good and generous qualities they were not often perceptible it is true first because he was of a gay and reckless turn secondly because he was not easily affected by any external circumstances and thirdly because he had the policy to affect among his comrades only such qualities as were likely to give him influence with them still however his better genius broke out whenever an opportunity presented itself though no corsair romantic and unreal an oceanic shadow becoming more vast in proportion as it recedes from substance though no grandly imagined lie to the fair proportions of human nature but an erring man in a very prosaic and homely world clifford still mingled a certain generosity and chivalric spirit of enterprise even with the practices of his profession although the name of lovett by which he was chiefly known was one peculiarly distinguished in the annals of the adventurous it had never been coupled with rumours of cruelty or outrage and it was often associated with anecdotes of courage courtesy good-humour or forbearance he was one whom a real love was peculiarly calculated to soften and to redeem the boldness the candour the unselfishness of his temper were components of nature upon which affection invariably takes a strong and deep hold besides clifford was of an eager and aspiring turn and the same temper and abilities which had in a very few years raised him in influence and popularity far above all the chivalric band with whom he was connected when once inflamed and elevated by a higher passion were likely to arouse his ambition from the level of his present pursuit and reform him ere too late into a useful nay even an honourable member of society we trust that the reader has already perceived that despite his early circumstances his manner and address were not such as to unfit him for a lady's love the comparative refinement of his exterior is easy of explanation for he possessed a natural and inborn gentility a quick turn for observation a ready sense both of the ridiculous and the graceful and these are materials which are soon and lightly wrought from coarseness into polish he had been thrown to among the leaders and heroes of his band many not absolutely low in birth nor debased in habit 
he had associated with the barringtons of the day gentlemen who were admired at ranelagh and made speeches worthy of cicero when they were summoned to trial he had played his part in public places and as tomlinson was wont to say after his classic fashion the triumphs accomplished in the field had been planned in the ballroom in short he was one of those accomplished and elegant highwaymen of whom we yet read wonders and by whom it would have been delightful to have been robbed and the aptness of intellect which grew into wit with his friends softened into sentiment with his mistress there is something too in beauty and clifford's person as we have before said was possessed of even uncommon attractions which lifts a beggar into nobility and there was a distinction in his gait and look which supplied the air of rank and the tone of courts men indeed skilled like malevolent in the subtleties of manner might perhaps have easily detected in him the want of that indescribable essence possessed only by persons reared in good society but that want being shared by so many persons of indisputable birth and fortune conveyed no particular reproach to lucy indeed brought up in seclusion and seeing at warlock none calculated to refine her taste in the fashion of an air or phrase to a very fastidious standard of perfection this want was perfectly imperceptible she remarked in her lover only a figure everywhere unequalled an eye always eloquent with admiration a step from which grace could never be divorced a voice that spoke in a silver key and uttered flatteries delicate in thought and poetical in word even a certain originality of mind remark and character occasionally approaching to the bizarre yet sometimes also to the elevated possessed a charm for the imagination of a young and not unenthusiastic female and contrasted favourably rather than the reverse with the dull insipidity of those she ordinarily saw nor are we sure that the mystery thrown about him irksome as it was to her and discreditable as it appeared to others was altogether ineffectual in increasing her love for the adventurer and thus fate which transmutes in her magic crucible all opposing metals into that one which she is desirous to produce swelled the wealth of an ill-placed and ominous passion by the very circumstances which should have counteracted and destroyed it we are willing by what we have said not to defend clifford but to redeem lucy in the opinion of our readers for loving so unwisely and when they remember her youth her education her privation of a mother of all female friendship even of the vigilant and unrelaxing care of some protector of the opposite sex we do not think that what was so natural will be considered by any inexcusable malevra woke the morning after the ball in better health than usual and consequently more in love than ever according to his resolution the night before he sat down to write a long letter to william brandon it was amusing and witty as usual but the wily nobleman succeeded under the cover of wit in conveying to brandon's mind a serious apprehension lest his cherished matrimonial project should altogether fail 
the account of lucy and of captain clifford contained in the epistle instilled indeed a double portion of sourness into the professionally acrid mind of the lawyer and as it so happened that he read the letter just before attending the court upon a case in which he was counsel to the crown the witnesses on the opposite side of the question felt the full effects of the barrister's ill-humour the case was one in which the defendant had been engaged in swindling transactions to a very large amount and among his agents and assistants was a person of the very lowest orders but who seemingly enjoying large connections and possessing natural acuteness and address appeared to have been of great use in receiving and disposing of such goods as were fraudulently obtained as a witness against the latter person appeared a pawnbroker who produced certain articles that had been pledged to him at different times by this humble agent now brandon in examining the guilty go-between became the more terribly severe in proportion as the man evinced that semblance of unconscious stolidity which the lower orders can so ingeniously assume and which is so peculiarly adapted to enrage and to baffle the gentlemen of the bar at length brandon entirely subduing and quelling the stubborn hypocrisy of the culprit the man turned towards him a look between wrath and beseechingness muttering aha if so be counsellor brandon you knew that i knows you vould not go for to bully i so and pray my good fellow what is it that you know that should make me treat you as if i thought you an honest man the witness had now relapsed into sullenness and only answered by a sort of grunt brandon who knew well how to sting a witness into communicativeness continued his questioning till the witness re-aroused into anger and it may be into indiscretion said in a low voice hacks mr swapham the pawnbroker what i sold him on the fifteenth of february exactly twenty-three yearn ago brandon started back his lips grew white he clenched his hands with a convulsive spasm and while all his features seemed distorted with an earnest yet fearful intensity of expectation he poured forth a volley of questions so incoherent and so irrelevant that he was immediately called to order by his learned brother on the opposite side nothing further could be extracted from the witness the pawnbroker was re-summoned he appeared somewhat disconcerted by an appeal to his memory so far back as twenty-three years but after taking some time to consider during which the agitation of the usually cold and possessed brandon was remarkable to all the court he declared that he recollected no transaction whatsoever with the witness at that time in vain were all brandon's efforts to procure a more elucidatory answer the pawnbroker was impenetrable and the lawyer was compelled reluctantly to dismiss him the moment the witness left the box brandon sank into a gloomy abstraction he seemed quite to forget the business and the duties of the court and so negligently did he continue to conclude the case so purposeless was the rest of his examination and cross-examination that the cause was entirely marred and a verdict not guilty returned by the jury the moment he left the court brandon repaired to the pawnbroker's 
and after a conversation with mr swapham in which he satisfied that honest tradesman that his object was rather to reward than intimidate swapham confessed that twenty-three years ago the witness had met him at a public-house in devereux court in company with two other men and sold him several articles in plate ornaments etc the great bulk of these articles had of course long left the pawnbroker's abode but he still thought a stray trinket or two not of sufficient worth to be reset or remodelled nor of sufficient fashion to find a ready sale lingered in his drawers eagerly and with trembling hands did brandon toss over the motley contents of the mahogany reservoirs which the pawnbroker now submitted to his scrutiny nothing on earth is so melancholy a prospect as a pawnbroker's drawer those little quaint valueless ornaments those true lovers knots those oval lockets those battered rings girdled by initials or some brief inscription of regard or of grief what tales of past affections hopes and sorrows do they not tell but no sentiment of so general a sort ever saddened the hard mind of william brandon and now less than at any time could such reflections have occurred to him impatiently he threw on the table one after another the baubles once hoarded perchance with the tenderest respect till at length his eyes sparkled and with a nervous grip he seized upon an old ring which was inscribed with letters and circled a heart containing hair the inscription was simply w b to julia strange and dark was the expression that settled on brandon's face as he regarded this seemingly worthless trinket after a moment's gaze he uttered an inarticulate exclamation and thrusting it into his pocket renewed his search he found one or two other trifles of a similar nature one was an ill-done miniature set in silver and bearing at the back sundry half-effaced letters which brandon construed at once though no other eye could into sir john brandon sixteen thirty five a twenty eight the other was a seal stamped with the noble crest of the house of brandon a bull's head ducally crowned and armed or as soon as brandon had possessed himself of these treasures and arrived at the conviction that the place held no more he assured the conscientious swapham of his regard for that person's safety rewarded him munificently and went his way to bow street for a warrant against the witness who had commended him to the pawnbroker on his road thither a new resolution occurred to him why make all public he muttered to himself if it can be avoided and it may be avoided he paused a moment then retraced his way to the pawnbroker's and after a brief mandate to mr swapham returned home in the course of the same evening the witness we refer to was brought to the lawyer's house by mr swapham and there held a long and private conversation with brandon the result of this seemed a compact to their mutual satisfaction for the man went away safe with a heavy purse and a light heart although sundry shades and misgivings did certainly ever and anon cross the latter while brandon flung himself back in his seat with the triumphant air of one who has accomplished some great measure and his dark face betrayed in every feature a joyousness and hope which were unfrequent guests it must be owned either to his countenance or his heart so good a man of business however was william brandon that he allowed not the event of that day to defer beyond the night his attention to his designs for the aggrandizement of his niece and house 
by daybreak the next morning he had written to lord maleverer to his brother and to lucy to the last his letter couched in all the anxiety of fondness and the caution of affectionate experience was well calculated to occasion that mingled shame and soreness which the wary lawyer rightly judged would be the most effectual enemy to an incipient passion i have accidentally heard he wrote from a friend of mine just arrived from bath of the glaring attentions paid to you by a captain clifford i will not my dearest niece wound you by repeating what also i heard of your manner in receiving them i know the ill-nature and the envy of the world and i do not for a moment imagine that my lucy of whom i am so justly proud would countenance from a petty coquetry the advances of one whom she could never marry or evince to any suitor partiality unknown to her relations and certainly placed in a quarter which could never receive their approbation i do not credit the reports of the idol my dear niece but if i discredit you must not slight them i call upon your prudence your delicacy your discretion your sense of right at once and effectually to put a stop to all impertinent rumours dance with this young man no more do not let him be of your party in any place of amusement public or private avoid even seeing him if you are able and throw in your manner towards him that decided coldness which the world cannot mistake much more did the skilful uncle write but all to the same purpose and for the furtherance of the same design his letter to his brother was not less artful he told him at once that lucy's preference of the suit of a handsome fortune-hunter was the public talk and besought him to lose not a moment in quelling the rumour you may do so easily he wrote by avoiding the young man and should he be very importunate return at once to warlock your daughter's welfare must be dearer to you than anything to malevra brandon replied by a letter which turned first on public matters and then slid carelessly into the subject of the earl's information among the admonitions which he ventured to give malevra he dwelt not without reason on the want of tact displayed by the earl in not manifesting that pomp and show which his station in life enabled him to do remember he urged you are not among your equals by whom unnecessary parade begins to be considered an ostentatious vulgarity the surest method of dazzling our inferiors is by splendour not taste all young persons all women in particular are caught by show and enamoured of magnificence assume a greater state and you will be more talked of and notoriety wins a woman's heart more than beauty or youth you have forgive me played the boy too long a certain dignity becomes your manhood women will not respect you if you suffer yourself to become stale and cheap to vulgar company you are like a man who has fifty advantages and uses only one of them to gain his point when you rely on your conversation and your manner and throw away the resources of your wealth and your station any private gentleman may be amiable and witty but any private gentleman cannot call to his aid the aladdin's lamp possessed in england by a wealthy peer look to this my dear lord lucy at heart is vain or she is not a woman dazzle her then dazzle love may be blind but it must be made so by excess of light you have a country house within a few miles of bath why not take up your abode there instead of in a paltry lodging in the town give sumptuous entertainments make it necessary for all the world to attend them exclude of course this captain clifford you will then meet lucy without a rival at present excepting only your title you fight on a level ground with this adventurer 
instead of an eminence from which you could in an instant sweep him away nay he is stronger than you he has the opportunities afforded by a partnership in balls where you cannot appear to advantage he is you say in the first bloom of youth he is handsome reflect your destiny so far as lucy is concerned is in your hands i turn to other subjects etc as brandon re-read ere he signed this last letter a bitter smile sat on his harsh yet handsome features if said he mentally i can effect this object if malever does marry this girl why so much the better that she has another a fairer and a more welcome lover by the great principle of scorn within me which has enabled me to sneer at what weaker minds adore and make a footstool of that worldly honour which fools set up as a throne it would be to me more sweet than fame ay or even than power to see this fine-spun lord a gibe in the mouths of men a cuckold a cuckold and as he said the last word brandon laughed outright and he thinks too added he that he is sure of my fortune otherwise perhaps he the goldsmith's descendant would not dignify our house with his proposals but he may err there he may err there and finishing his soliloquy brandon finished also his letter by adieu my dear lord your most affectionate friend it is not difficult to conjecture the effect produced upon lucy by brandon's letter it made her wretched she refused for days to go out she shut herself up in her apartment and consumed the time in tears and struggles with her own heart sometimes what she conceived to be her duty conquered and she resolved to forswear her lover but the night undid the labour of the day for at night every night the sound of her lover's voice accompanied by music melted away her resolution and made her once more all tenderness and trust the words too sung under her window were especially suited to affect her they breathed a melancholy which touched her the more from its harmony with her own thoughts one while they complained of absence at another they hinted at neglect but there was always in them a tone of humiliation not reproach they bespoke a sense of unworthiness in the lover and confessed that even the love was a crime and in proportion as they owned the want of desert did lucy more firmly cling to the belief that her lover was deserving the old squire was greatly disconcerted by his brother's letter though impressed with the idea of self-consequence and the love of tolerably pure blood common to most country squires he was by no means ambitious for his daughter on the contrary the same feeling which at warlock had made him choose his companions among the inferior gentry made him averse to the thought of a son-in-law from the peerage in spite of malevra's good nature the very ease of the earl annoyed him and he never felt at home in his society to clifford he had a great liking and having convinced himself that there was nothing to suspect in the young gentleman he saw no earthly reason why so agreeable a companion should not be an agreeable son-in-law if he be poor thought the squire though he does not seem so lucy is rich and this truism appeared to him to answer every objection nevertheless william brandon possessed a remarkable influence over the weaker mind of his brother and the squire though with great reluctance resolved to adopt his advice he shut his doors against clifford and when he met him in the streets instead of greeting him with his wonted cordiality he passed him with a hasty good-day captain which after the first day or two merged into a distant bow whenever very good-hearted people are rude and unjustly so the rudeness is in the extreme the squire felt it so irksome to be less familiar than heretofore with clifford that his only remaining desire was now to drop him altogether 
and to this consummation of acquaintance the gradually cooling salute appeared rapidly approaching meanwhile clifford unable to see lucy shunned by her father and obtaining in answer to all inquiry rude looks from the footman whom nothing but the most resolute command over his muscles prevented him from knocking down began to feel perhaps for the first time in his life that an equivocal character is at least no equivocal misfortune to add to his distress the earnings of his previous industry we must use the expression cherished by the wise tomlinson waxed gradually less and less beneath the expenses of bath and the murmuring voices of his two comrades began already to reproach their chief for his inglorious idleness and to hint at the necessity of a speedy exertion End of chapter nineteen